This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, a weekly podcast that's all about the markets and investing. My name's Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Claude Walker. Cheers. From Ethical Equities and Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Thank you, Andrew. Very happy to be here. We had a really good response to the very first show last week, guys. So we've got to follow that up with something even better this week. I think we can do it. Claude, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on what we're talking about? I'd be delighted to. So this week, Matt wrote a very interesting article about inflection points and their importance uh, for investors. So we'll uh, be talking a bit about that. And along with a stock that Matt has followed for quite a few years called Pushpay, we'll then touch on a favorite of Andrew's or perhaps I've spoken too soon called Catapult International. And then I'll reveal my most recent conviction buy. It's a stock that I've been... Uh, thinking about and watching for quite a few years. And yes, I've owned shares for a while, but I've been recently buying more and I'd love to talk about why. A very, very full show. But as Claude hinted at there, Mr. Joss, you've written a bit of a piece on your website about inflection points. I didn't have you uh, marked as a chartist, I've got to say. <laughs> I, I was a little bit surprised that <laughs> you're going down that angle. Yeah, so uh, inflection points, um, super important to my personal investing strategy. Uh, came across it a couple of years ago. But first of all, we're talking about fundamental inflection points. Ah. <laughs> uh, so talking about uh, kind of a fundamental change in the business where there's a very rapid acceleration in the uh, fundamentals of the business. So we're talking about underlying cash flows. We're not talking about technical uh, trading charts and signals and all that uh, fun stuff. I'll leave that pseudoscience for other people. Controversial. Yeah, so uh, I think there's a few different types. So in that article on the website, I talked around about turnarounds. So a company that has fallen from grace and is able to be very quickly kind of repaired to good health. And those situations, if there's one cause and there's one major fix, can lead to an extremely rapid um, appreciation and value. I, re- I can't wait to hear about the other kinds of inflection points, but I have to say on that point, I thought it was a good starting ev- example because the turnarounds, it, it can be easy to know what to spot for a potential turnaround because you're looking for a company that's had something go wrong. Now, whether or not that turns is part of the subject of your article, but I, for one, find that interesting. And, you know, it's not been my best play that I've ever made, but I've done a few of those successfully myself. And I think it's also an interesting way to introduce the sort of time value of money, as it were. Yeah, uh, very interesting. I should mention before we go on, this is at mattjoss.com. Uh, if you head there, you'll see the article that Matt's talking about. Very, very worthwhile to have a bit of a read. But Matt, um, just on from Claude's point there, explain to me a bit a bit more about that. Yeah, so to, exactly to, to Claude's point, it was kind of, that's where I first got into it as well, coming from a traditional kind of value background, you could say. So starting with these companies that had fallen from grace. And I think what inflection points, what you're really trying to do is look for the process being underway already so that you can observe a change uh, that that extremely rapid ramp up is taking place already and that's quite a different from the traditional value investing approach where you buy something when it's cheap and typically it gets a lot cheaper and falls and falls and sometimes it never gets any better so it's like a, a turnaround that never turns um, and that's what you tr- would try and avoid by using inflection points and, and when you do end up owning one of those turnarounds that never never turns you 
You can enter into a terrible state of mind that I like to call the bag holder mentality. <laughs> Baggies. It's happened to yep. all of us. It's happened to me. But it's it, it really, it's actually worth thinking about because it plays right into Charlie Munger's old saying, uh, tell me where I'm going to die so I don't go there. So true, um, absolutely. When you find yourself in that mental state, you're not making your best decisions. Whether or not the actual investment ends up working out, I think Matt did actually touch on this in his article. Well, I that, remember that, the- that's the, fir- the first point that I want to drill down to and which really resonated with me is that I've uh, probably the best example I've had of a turnaround paying off for me has been API. I, I did really, really well out of it. It was a great one. It was 60 cent odd buy and it went up to two bucks or so by the time I got out. Which, which sounds great, okay. The reality is, though, that I held that thing for a close to a year and a half before it moved at all. So I, what I saw was a very uh, strong, fundamental company. I felt it was going to be around. I thought they were going to get past the troubles that had driven their price down. And I was right on all of that. But what I didn't do and what you're talking about, Matt, in your article mm. was rather than just you know getting in as soon as the prices go down, but actually wait for things to improve because in outside of these crazy up and downs of the market, in the real world of business, it just takes a long time to right size a business, particularly a very large one. A hundred percent. And so that those signs of improvement, that's the fundamental inflection point we're talking about. And it can be a lot of different things. So turnaround's one great example. Um, it's not one I like to look for too much um, anymore. I like different types of companies. And just before you move on to the other kinds of inflection points, what would you say a few of the signs you might look for that a turnaround is actually turning? Yeah, so again, it's that's a very good question. So it comes down to the fundamental performance. But uh, if you're looking at larger companies, you have to kind of look for earlier signs. So I think if you're looking at small caps and micro caps, sometimes you can wait until they've just reported quarterly cash flows or half yearly cash flow reports. Yeah, right. So that's because with smaller companies, they have less people looking at them. So you're sometimes in a position where if there's a half on half improvement, but that hasn't shown up in the full year numbers, maybe the market's moved to sort of reflect the average of the two halves, but if you sort of annualize that second half, you'd get a very different picture. Maybe that's a reasonable thing to do. Maybe it isn't. Whereas if the bigger companies, they're so scrutinized that any kind of sign is very quickly priced in. Yeah, 100%. So as you as you move up, you've got to be a bit more competitive. You've got to be talking to customers, suppliers, that kind of thing, looking for those fundamental signs. Often it's they've signed a new marketing distribution agreement, something like that. But yeah, so th- mm. there's all sorts of types and turnarounds can encompass these other ones as well. But uh, a few ones, you know, a particularly fast growing um, product or segment when the rest of the, the business is quite slow or declining can be masked for quite a long time until it finally starts to break through and that can be like a really interesting point yeah i've got one of those stuck in my portfolio at the moment <laughs> me, me too i'm going to talk a bit about that later yeah. actually um i think uh you know major demand side so like a new distribution agreement um a growth company that's just tipping into profitability which we might talk about again soon very with soon example. nice tease um and my favorite one is uh what i'd call like a hyper growth company that has crossed the chasm which is probably like a whole nother topic but a company so that's just tipping into the um kind of early majority of, of customer we totally have to do an episode on yeah. that that's and y- you've actually previously really opened my eyes to why these ones are hard for investors to spot especially if they're small so you have a fewer number of people and you have this idea that it requires exponential thinking to understand the opportunity maybe you could explain that a little more yeah 100 percent. thanks a lot um it's uh 
I think it's part of why it works is because it's hard. Like if all of this was just obvious, it would already be done. But our brains aren't really designed to think exponentially. Like we're designed for the African savanna and, you know, that lion is running in this direction. If it keeps going. So you're saying we've got monkey brains. (laughs) You could say that. Yeah. Perhaps we could name something after that. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, so that's, that's a, a core flaw that we have. I think a cognitive deficit. It means that we can't think about how exponential growth and compounding work, even though we all talk about it all the time. If you get, you know, compound returns, you can end up extremely rich. I think Warren Buffett wasn't a billionaire till 65 or something, and now he's, you know, one of the richest people in the world. Yeah. Um, so that that is a, a core driver. I think people anchor to the low point as well. There's a whole lot of behavioral biases plus a bit of hard work that goes with it, but the returns can be incredible because you can have this extremely high growth. I'll give you an example of that. I, I know we're going to talk a specific example in a moment, but where, where I think a lot of... Um, a lot of the negativity, a lot of the bear cases that come around the really high-profile tech stocks at the moment will usually start something like this. Oh, yeah, that's a nice company, but Matt, that's on a PE of 200. Yeah. You know, that is ridiculous. And it is ridiculous for any kind of established company. Mate, that- I've seen stocks. In fact, I think I own a stock that's on about 200 times revenue. Dude, I've got infinity <laughs> revenues, you know? like So it, it, it happens Too out crazy. there. But, but where that... Now, I'm not saying just be, you know, this is often a very big warning sign, but it's not always, and it's not always to your exact point, because what that forgets is that you might have a company that's going to double its revenue and then double it again and then double it and do that for three or four years. And that PE or that price to sales, your preferred metric comes down very, very quickly indeed. And that's what that's what catches a lot of people out. Yeah, 100%. I think people just don't can't appreciate that second half of the chessboard. There's that story of if you put one grain of rice on the first square on a chessboard, double it two grains. And by the end of it, I think you've got more rice on that 64 square. I'm going to embarrass myself because it's wrong, but I think it's two to the power of 63 minus one. Yeah. Which I'm going to say that com- speaking of embarrassing yourself I really want to find out one other day this company you have on infinity revenue <laughs> oh yeah well, I'm in infinity earnings but yeah okay. <laughs> I misspoke yeah. he says yeah so I think that's I think that's why it works I think if it can be practiced well um, it can help avoid the worst kind of value traps and, and bag holding that Claude touched on um, it increases your kind of hit rate because you're you know you cut out a lot of the worst you cut mm. out a little bit of the gain mm. but you cut out a lot of the worst that's ones, the so. point I wanted to dig into because and I think this is the point where it goes wrong is because people will say by the time that happens you see that fundamental turning point the cash flows are improved sales are growing really quickly the share price jumps 30% and then we're looking at, at our charts and we go ah oh, I could have bought it Oh, it's too late now. Why isn't it not too late? Or why is it maybe a better way to phrase it? Why is it why is it okay to accept that 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 quote unquote loss? Yeah. So I, I think I gave the uh, an analogy of a party where you're arriving at right. So the party starts at seven o'clock. A lot of value investors arrive at like six thirty, six o'clock, and make awkward. We're always early to the party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what we want to be arriving is like a bit after the party started when it's just starting to get into the swing. But we want to leave before it gets you know crazy drunkenness or someone's passed out in the corner being belligerent. Um, So that's kind of what we're trying to go for. And I think it just yeah it plays into that. Why it works is just because people don't, they anchor to what it, where it was when it was lower. They don't appreciate the exponential upside. Um, but if it is a true inflection point, then you, you off, in fact, we'll talk about a couple of examples, but, but really even after that 30%, if that story continues to play and this compounding effect is, is in motion, then that, there is still plenty of upside, but with a lot less risk, which I guess is the key point. All right, just, just a, uh, a rare moment of structure here. Matt, I'm very curious to know these um, companies that have the exponential inflection point. 
how do we spot them? Can you give us any pointers? Because they're the really good ones. The value ones, you know, we want to get them on inflection point and then essentially we need to sell them. Yeah. So, um, such as a- API. You know, I've got one that's a turnaround energy action. You know, I'm wondering when when should I... I wouldn't be buying now. When, when would I sell it? How do we spot these really good ones that have exponential growth and that you would then potentially hold for years on end? Yeah, really good question. I think probably could speak half an hour just about that. I think it's um, first about having the certain traits that allow that exponential, extremely fast growth over many years to happen. So um, if you want something that can you know, increase 10 or 100 fold, it needs to be able to grow extremely quickly, which normally means quite a capital light um, business model. So a company that um, I purchased a, a few years ago called A2 Milk was quite a good example. They didn't produce the um, infant formula themselves and they were just launching into this new business line which was the inflection point and could be detected actually quite by public information is how I found out about it as in the AFR they released the scan data from the pharmacies and you could see it was already starting to overtake Palamese before they released the financials. Hats off to that uh, you know um, grassroots research by the way dude that was that was that was a thing to behold. Yeah, yes. I mean, it, yeah. I'm pleased well. to say that I bought it after you suggested that. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. didn't. <laughs> so I think the shares are up um, 1,200% today from where they were then. And again, that's information that you're observing, mm. not just forecasting. Like there's some along the way that you have to be convinced it's still good to hold. You have to so extrapolate on. a little bit from yeah. there. But yeah, but, you're not doing it on hope alone. Yeah, but there's observation at the time. And I yeah. think that is like a key a key difference. That Let's that. get specific. We've, we've, we've talked about this inflection point idea. It's all very sound and academic, Mr. Joss. Mm-hmm. Good for you. <laughs> but I want I want a real world example here. Give me a stock where you've you've put this into play. Yes, yeah, so uh, I think A2 Milk was one that I put into play. Oh, okay, sorry, I mean, well. it's like 1,200%. <laughs> Give me a me, second but, uh, stock. I should probably add, I sold my A2 Milk <laughs> way too early. <laughs> that is the, the second half of the challenge the I think half. is holding on yep. for the ride. Um, but another company that I'm interested in now that I've held for a while is, is Pushpay, as, as, we, as we'd flag that we're Tell me about. what Pushpay do. Yeah, so Pushpay is a, a Kiwi company. They provide uh, software for the church market, primarily in the US. So... Um, it started out primarily as software to help churches with donations and giving and has moved on to apps for engagement. Uh, but I just want to frame up, because it's quite different to Australia in terms of the size of this market, $120 billion is donated to churches in the US every year. There's a very regular kind of culture of giving and going to church that we probably don't have here in Australia. Um, and Pushpay kind of make it easier for those churches to serve their their. their um, congregation oh, so, isn't that isn't i'm gonna be a little quick <laughs> isn't that nice of the churches that they're gonna make giving money a little bit easier absolutely that's, that's, oh, absolutely so, so push pay process about 3.2 billion dollars us of, of uh, payments volume um and they have over seven thousand churches in the us as, as clients um and about a hundred million dollars a year usd of revenue is what they're running if, at if you money. haven't heard of push pay and i'm sure many listeners wouldn't have but when matt it is a new zealand company <laughs> after all <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Matt was on it very early, but 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 um, so some very big numbers there. This is now an eight hundred million dollar market cap company. I think in when they listed, they doubled their revenue in their first year. They doubled it again just recently. Uh, it was a fifty percent increase over the previous corresponding period in their most recent half. Um, they are loss making uh, operation, mm-hmm. but imp- uh, probably giving the the game away a little bit here but they are fast uh, approaching you might call it an inflection point <laughs> uh, but um, I just before you uh, regale us with any more fundamental data uh, do we all own shares in Pushpay oh is- good good point Port. I do 
I do too. Okay, so all of us do own. We, me and Andrew, I'm pretty sure we just copied Matt. But (laughs) there's a part of my investment strategy which is, hey, Matt's doing it. Yeah, Uh, it's worked out pretty well so far. Yeah, I think some people think it's like, oh, I've seen you three all own the same stocks. They think that as some sort of consensus system. But yeah. sometimes it's, it's do whatever just, it can be strategy. a bit of both. It can be just two of us copying the other one, and it doesn't <laughs> necessarily, necessarily mean we've all it, thought about it. Part of it, if I can say with all due respect, is that you know I, I do respect Matthew as too as, kind, as an kind. analyst, but it's also because I, there's there's a FOMO element, and I just kind of <laughs> the thing worst thing. It in the really world hurts when, Matt, you're, when <laughs> your when your friend has like a ten bagger <laughs> and you didn't buy any of the shares. That's driving my decisions as well. Okay, so so we frame this up as a small company. A lot of it's never talked about in the financial press, but but it is yep. phenomenally successful in terms of what they've done. I have to, just before you get too much into the inflection point um, uh, angle here, mm. the thing that always comes up whenever I mention it to people, which is, which is why? I mean, why don't I just use PayPal? Why don't I use one of the million other super established payment platforms that are from Silicon Valley, that are better funded, that are doing have been doing it for a lot, lot longer, and there's this little company out of New Zealand mm. that's looking to take this on? Yeah, so I think that's a, a very good question is my first big hurdle. I first looked at this and dismissed it out of hand. I was like, why are they payments? What are you talking about? Um, but the key is that they're solving a lot of um, needs for the church. So they're doing a lot of the backend admin side. Now they've also moved into engagement apps. So a lot of the donations, I think half of their donations come through the app. So it's a church specific app. And I, you kind of say, why would they? Would people use it? They use it because their pastor tells them to use it. Yeah. Um, the other is that they and, build- and the pastor wants them to use it too because it makes their life a lot easier as well, right? Yeah. 100%. And they get to not say, go there to donate because it's an engagement app. It's like, go there to read your sermons, go there to find out news, your small groups. Yep. And by the way, you can give as well. Yep. So it, it kind of uh, lowers the burden, I guess, for them. I've got a series of tough questions for you, Matt. But the first one is, and yeah, I don't think you're prepared for this. Do we have any idea of how the churches actually spend all of this money that they collect? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> is it though? Like, I just don't know. Like, give me a long run up and I will rant from the pulpits. Okay, on, well, we're not doing but that. Let, let this Matt, is, Matt this is Matt's pulpit right now. So <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, there's a, a fair question. I'll let someone else tackle the religious side of whether you think that's good. But there is a huge amount of it that just goes directly into what you'd consider traditional charity. So for people over there who are donating, they don't think of it as I'm giving a church. They think of I'm giving a charity. So, you know, I don't know what percentage of it goes out into these things, but if you're sitting in church so when i visited seattle to um meet with pushback i got to go along to one of these one of these churches as they're doing the pitch um and it's very much about a how it's helping the congregation and b how they're doing outreach efforts so there's like packs for homeless people and and all sorts of things like that so i mean it's it's part of the the value system obviously if you're a christian in the u.s that you're trying to help your church spread the gospel and yeah it shouldn't be totally shouldn't be too i realize it's a slight sidetrack and i've obviously made piece with the ethics of the company although it is one that i had to think long and hard about just because i'm not in i don't completely understand the impact that it has on the world like you know there's so many different ways it could play out it could be that it's really great thing because it's facilitating engagement and it's making uh people give more to these great causes in which case it's taking a cut from those great causes which is I don't know. I'm it's totally just, biting my tongue. Yep. But it's just one of those... For me, it's just one of those interesting grey areas where I would be always open to having my mind changed about where this company sits at the moment. I think that it, you know, it seems to be like adding to efficiency and engagement and 
not causing any harm, so I'm okay with it. But that's that's more of a sidetrack from the fundamental thing, but I think it's but a I very think, complicated yeah, one. But I think the fair, the, the, if you ask the people who are giving, they're literally giving to the best thing in the world. So to them, it's like the most ethical thing to do. Yeah. To you, if you don't believe in that, then maybe it's and, not and, ethical. And this is, well, yeah, I'm this, not saying this it's is not ethical, by the way. Yeah, I, totally. I, I just, it's a personal choice as to whether you think it's, a, it's ethical or not. But what I want to get back to is where's the inflection point in this thing? Why Why is it that that you saw a potential here along the lines of what we were discussing earlier. Yeah, so there's a couple at the moment that I think are interesting. So it's just tipping into profitability now, which okay. I think it can be a really interesting inflection point because yeah. if tipping into profitability is coming with strong operating leverage, so by that I mean that revenue can increase much faster than costs, operating costs, and that tends to lead to pretty good outcomes. So I think over the last um, six months, tracking like over the prior year, I think revenue is up 48% and operating expenses are up 2%. 2%. So that is good. You do not see leverage. that that often, to be fair. like It is very, very usual to see fast-growing companies just ramping those expenses quite most quickly. Co- most companies, we'll talk about one in a moment, see some very strong oh. revenue growth and then sees that as an excuse to really ramp up Have the a costs. new office. And a new office. Let's not get ahead of anyway. ourselves. Um, and actually within Pushpay, there's a fast-growing segment that's been hidden. So that growth is actually slower than it otherwise would be. Because I they, have not even heard this. What <laughs> is this they, breaking news? So they, they abandoned, or well, abandoned, they, they exited the small church segment because it was way too high churn. The cost of acquisition was too high. So their growth over the last 12 months basically since mid of last year um, they've just focused on the high growth on the um, larger churches which is better tailored for their model and adding value but it means they've been kind of churning away all of the smaller churches which they haven't they don't really focus on anymore they're going for the low hanging fruit first the ones that's going to move the dial the most when they sign up yeah so they've signed up some of the so again to put this in perspective the biggest church in the US which Pushpay recently signed has 55,000 weekly attendees oh man it's mind blowing that must be like a party almost mind blowing (laughs) It's a huge party. It's like a multi-campus party, yeah. Um, And so their churches, large churches, are over a thousand weekly attendees. So it's still pretty, still pretty big. And that's that. That's our segment now, medium and large. And and that does give me a good feeling about it. Obviously, people are getting something out of this sort of engagement the community they are part of. It's clearly it's super very fun, man. It's like yeah. a rock can, can concert. Can I get an amen? Like, when I was there, I was like, I, could, not, I kind of want to go to this. This is kind of cool. It's not my this cup Jesus of tea, guy sounds all right. Yeah. It's See, not my cup of tea, yeah. but. It's hard to argue that it's a bad thing. Yeah, you li- you literally walk in and there's like a rock band on stage, yeah, and everyone's amazing. like, yeah, really happy. Um, but yeah, so that's their thing when they have 55 of the top 100 largest churches. They figured out it's easier for us to go for the bigger churches first and get some social proof. Makes from there. perfect sense. Um, Makes and so that's sense. that's the kind of second one. And I think the third one is if they are able to tip over into. The, the mainstream that could be the kind of hyper growth continuing for a long time that crossing the chasm I think they're just on the cusp of it now yeah, yeah. because they've got you know a lot of the biggest churches but are they kind of the forward thinkers they are probably and are they going to get the whole rest so they're at you know 5% penetration right only now only 5% only 5% yeah. which so there's definitely plenty of upside and that is that just yeah. in America or is that worldwide uh, that's just in America so worldwide would be bigger and that's only really I think that's only Protestant. Um, so they don't have any of the yeah. Catholic Church there, but which I mean, is a different that might segment, be, Is there some sort of uh, divide going on there that means that the Catholic churches would prefer a different company that had uh, Catholic founders? Yeah, well, this is a, a good question. So I think part of the reason that Push Bay had been successful is the two original founders are Christians themselves and the, a lot of the salespeople, they don't have to be, but a lot of them speak the language and that language is different between denominations, between Catholics. So I think they haven't sold to Catholic churches yet, even if they'd tried, partly because of that. 
Um, and I should add that one of the founders left recently, um, Elliot. Ah, uh, this was my tough question. <laughs> so one of the founders, he didn't he just sell his shares and leave as well? Yeah, so he, um, it's come out in the in the papers now, so I can mention public record had a, a fairly nasty divorce um, and basically exited the company altogether um, and sold out kind of completely out of his stake as he, as he left the company. So that's probably, I mean, that must be doubly tough in, I'm not sure how his churches feel about divorce, but that might even be worse. Uh, I imagine it'd be a pretty tough situation, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So he's, pack- a- so he's, not leaving the business necessarily because he doesn't like the business perhaps it is more because he's gone through a tough time and he just wants to walk away now yeah it's very potent he possible needs a change obviously i don't know his personal situation but I'm there are there can be times where people sell for personal reasons and it, it's possible that this is, okay. is one of them yeah but, but um, i didn't know that but that's actually so, seems, so, seems like interesting yeah it's, it's interesting um but but the other thing that was interesting this break-even thing which is which is um always interesting when you see a company that's had very long sales growth for a long time and they pass break even and in the case of push bay where they have very high gross margins and you want you've got a very set cost base mm-hmm. those costs don't as you say two percent up year yeah. on year it's not a big difference so so what happens is you've got a business whose revenue is growing at say 50 odd percent in the last um, 12 months but once that passes break even it means that your your net profit is growing at a much much faster rate in fact it goes from negative to positive so mm, however one, mathematically that, that you do that though, with people's perception for one thing and yeah. th- that's why it's hard because again you will get these PE ratios quoted at you once it becomes profitable beyond 300 or something yeah. crazy but when it goes from like a million to 20 million in that mm-hmm. one year and it can do that without without a, an aligned um increase in revenue as well that mathematics i think gets a lot of people as well really throws them off and that's where it's at at this point potentially yeah and i should add uh, a very high recurring revenue so they they talk about i think for their internal calculations they use 97.5 percent recurring recurring revenue but it's actually over that because churches are using um this type of giving more so Mm. they figure for the churches they have only about 30 percent of that giving comes through that platform because the rest is cash and check and i think over time that's checks hopefully will go away because they're terrible um and so that is naturally seeing that growth so it's what the point there though is just that um you're seeing uh, with every new customer you add it's it's an addition and they they stick around for a long time which adds to that operating i'll add add even more to that so you've got that phenomenon but there's a really lovely um and i would encourage people to download the recent presentation they talk about the average revenue per client as well so yes you win a client that's great and then their client growth has been phenomenal but each year that goes by you see more and more and more um, well, each client spending more and more and more. So, so you get that flex within the existing client base. Yeah, and and one last thing. So they have about a hundred developers. You touched on the Silicon Valley thing before. Yes. Within the space, they're basically the Silicon Valley guys um, because they're taking that model of actually developing really high quality software. So a lot of their competitors are actually. You know, a guy who knows how to code, created something for his church, decided to start selling it elsewhere. So they've got 100 developers, um, 50 of them are working on on new products effectively. So I think they're going to release other things which aren't related to giving necessarily more church management or whatever else, um, which could be another opportunity to increase that as well. So the last question, and then we'll move on to another company because we're going to run out of time. But the, the, and, and we've kind of answered it. Okay, there as well. let's hear the question. But the, the, other, the, the thing is, is that people will say, yeah, that's a very compelling story. The fundamentals look very attractive. I get what you're saying, but we're on what, eight or 12 times trailing sales. 
and what maybe eight or nine or ten times like forward sales that's a lofty multiple yeah it's come down a bit from there so i think in usd because they report in usd it'd be about six times sales but um their gross margin is a a bit lower on 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 that factor but as you say though we've got to be thinking about if they're able to continue growing i think it's um quite cheap today my last intrinsic value that i put out was around three dollars fifty it trades around three dollars today mm-hmm. but i think that could actually increase potentially more yeah. it all depends if they can cross that chasm which we'll talk about another time if they can mm-hmm. hit that mainstream that's where you see the real upside but from the sounds of it there's enough upside even if it just goes to protestant big churches worldwide and even a fairly low percent they double their if they double their big churches that should be enough for them to be very yeah. profitable yes i agree so okay. let, yeah. sorry i was, I was going to say so before we move on um uh, i think we've all look we're all we've all disclosed ourselves as shareholders there's been a positive conversation one of the really important things i think that you should always do before you buy a share is actually outline in advance what do i what happens to prove the thesis wrong so it's yeah. a compelling case well i think it's a compelling case because they bought shares in it yeah um listeners might disagree but let's say let's say um you're, you're a skeptically minded person which i think is always a good thing in investing what are the red flags that you see you go you know what it was a good pitch it was a good story it's just not playing out that way really good question i should have touched on this before with inflection points because you also need to identify when something's wrong right. and busted um i think if they lost a significant number of large and medium churches any significant number really if that just stopped growing frankly that would be pretty worrying if they lost some major ones that would be very worrying um if a competitor was entering the space and able to do that that would be a concern so it's really around growth 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 mm. is slowing com- mm. as they've kind of grown they it has to slow yeah, though right 100 you can't double you- your revenue every year <laughs> yeah and so you need to you need to watch that but that's yep. that's what i'm kind of watching most closely um, i'm not too concerned about the cash position they are still currently burning but i, I can see them 12 million u.s cash on the balance sheet yeah and burning Zero I think, debt. two and a half million a, a quarter but they're expecting to get break even just in december so pretty soon right. but yeah i think that's the main thing i'm watching can they continue growing um for the long term and uh yeah i think you you mentioned that's important to get out your thesis there so i'll just give a little plug for strawman.com a good place for people to go and test out their ideas against one another and i've uh, got a valuation there you can check out and hopefully if you think it's wrong um yeah put, put one up that's better and uh it helps the hive mind Sure. All right. Moving on now. We are going to do a segment on Andrew's bag holder mentality. (laughs) You've been waiting for this all week. I literally just thought of that line (laughs) there. You've been been waiting all week. Claude looked very happy with himself before he commented just for the people listening at home. So we were were talking about... Catapult International. We were talking about some stocks that we could could talk about that were interesting and um, perhaps controversial. And I think Catapult is a good one. Now, I've got to put my hand up. I own shares in Catapult. Claude, do you? I sold my shares. I All of wrote, them? Well, so on Ethical Equities, when they did their results, I wrote up a pretty scathing um, pretty, assessment. Pretty scathing? And I said at the end of it, look, I'm done. I'm going to sell when I feel like it. I actually asked my readers whether they thought I should hold on or sell. And um, I, enough of them said to sell that I was like, okay, I'm going to... I'm gonna, pack the bags for this one and, and I, I divested cool. my shares a week or two after this. Uh, uh, Matt, do you hold shares? So I originally bought shares mostly because I didn't want to see you be so happy because <laughs> they kept going It doesn't up. always work <laughs> out. <laughs> but I have I did sell um, a while ago, maybe six or nine months ago. Right, so and I, I obviously am a shareholder. Um, I'm actually up, I'm, I'm happy to say, and I did I did lighten the load at about 220 or so. Very good. So let me, let me, let me paint a picture. Um, this is a company that actually... It, it's all in it's all about elite 
sports analytics, right? So these, you'll see it um, in the rugby, you'll see it in the AFL, you see it in Cricket Australia. In fact, you'll see it in an increasing number of sports, little devices that, that the um, athletes wear on the back, which track all kinds of metrics, um, speed, impact, all kinds of things. Very, very useful at the elite level. Came out of the Australian Institute of Sport, was commercialized in 2006. The company listed in 2014. And like any of these speculative companies, there was a lot of slides about the market opportunity, how big it was, how fast it was going, super, super sexy. So and how how would we have seen this? Would we have seen this anywhere if, we, if we're watching sports? What would be the... Uh, yeah, State of Origin, um, yeah. they had it actually... A little lump on the back. Little tiny lump. It's yeah. almost like... And actually you see the Telstra tracker. That's Catapult. That's yeah. powered by Catapult. Yeah, it's like, it's like a little man bra, if I can use that term, <laughs> um, with with like a little device at the back. And it syncs up to, to a, a central point and it gives the coach and the trainers huge amounts of insight. You've got to remember that these guys are dealing with assets that are worth a lot of money. And by assets, I mean the athletes themselves. Mm-hmm. They spend millions of dollars. So they any like day that you can prevent of injury um, uh, or, or of, you know, any tweak that you can enhance at that level it's like when you look at the sprinters wearing those suits you know there's no point in me wearing it because i'm running 100 meters in 30 seconds so if i can shave off half a second what difference does it make at that level this is super important anyway so i did very 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 well you're not Um, shaving all your body hair when you go down to the swimming pool no i'm not i'm (laughs) not um and and okay so so the company was off is a very very big market opportunity there's um they reckon that the market's worth Oh, geez. I wrote this down. I'm going to forget off the top of my head, but it's something like... One quadrillion dollars. One could, It's like $500 million <laughs> uh, addressable market. They've got about 15% of that. Mm-hmm. And, and what they did was fairly early on, they decided that with, in fact, very demonstrable success they had in terms of the fundamentals, so the sales, the market share, all that kind of stuff, doing exceptionally well, they said, hey, let's own the whole technology stack. So Sweet. they... So they bought a video um, XOS video company over in the US. They bought an athlete management system. They got involved in. They made a whole bunch of acquisitions. I feel like this is a very, very cherry picked happy story. No, I'm history. giving you, I'm, dude. This is the negative. I'm giving you the That's negative. That's not the negative. <laughs> that doesn't sound negative yet. I'm about to. About to before I was negative. so rudely interrupted, yeah. Yeah. I was about to. I give feel you, like you missed a couple of capital no, no. raises oh, in that story. Getting, getting I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting. There's a here there's context and i think this is where a lot of people go wrong because they look at a share price that's gone from four bucks back to a buck which is where it's at now and go ergo that's terrible and i admit doesn't doesn't look good and in fact there's very good reasons for that it was stupid at four dollars but i'm thinking that at this point it makes a little bit more sense so let me let me back up a little bit now i think it's good if you do state the, the bull case um <laughs> because and I, gonna say i'll the do bear. the bear case yeah. so so um so in in making all of those investments they raised a bunch of cash they deferred cash flow break even um, and profitability by a lot. In the meantime, they started paying themselves exceptionally well. Um, They also haven't managed their capital that well. So all of these things are negative and you've got a company that has, if if it just stayed with its core elite wearables division, it would be a much stronger, much faster growing, much more profitable company today. So I agree with that last statement, absolutely. And in fact, that's why I made the mistake of actually recommending the company to other people and i'm sorry about that and essentially i couldn't have timed things worse because i jumped in in that sense shortly before it became increasingly apparent that they were going to really go after this prosumer market with a lot of capital and a lot of capital but it wasn't it's not even just the. it's actually the acquisitions that they did more recently don't really bother me 
it's more the hiring of this like really well paid layer of executives to who to date I fail to see how they've brought value in terms of high margin revenue which is what we want and Mm. that's what the elite wearables business was Mm -hmm. high margin sticky revenue and then the the other fundamental concern I have is that over the course of the last few years we started to see all of these signs that sort of suggested that they were losing out to their main competitor stat sports while they were chasing this sort of prosumer market at least partially stat sports were winning the Brazil soccer team and winning these huge soccer contact uh, soccer contracts in the US given that this is such a widely played sport whatever its pros and cons you cannot deny the fact that this is really what you want to go after mm. and stat sports i guess it's perhaps arguably more in the dna being an irish company catapult is an australian company where the sports it was developed around originally were more the rugby's and that kind of thing so i started to have concerns about whether it was going to be the top dog in, in the world there. And then the most concerning thing for me was that to see their losses mount said to me that there was not the same level of pricing power that I thought there would be. To see them lose contracts to their competitors made me think that the product was less um, sticky. Now, even that wouldn't have been enough on its own to have me finally selling the stock. But what essentially did it was this series of capital raises first at $3 then at $2 then at $1.10 no one in their right mind can argue that's a good way to fund a company one down round is bad enough but to have two you know what's that saying you know, yeah I agree fool me once fool me twice I agree uh, I, I agree with a large part of that so I think, I think they're not, so that that's was not unfair criticism but at the same time I think that it's probably worth me sharing something of me as an investor here is I actually actively seek to avoid these really tough psychological situations, which means that I occasionally walk away from a growth stock that does actually return to growth and does actually have its heyday again. There are certain investments that Andrew's made in the past, uh, perhaps SDI and API are two examples. Um, that's both their tickers and the name of the companies, where I would never have had the stomach to hold on to those stocks when you did so i certainly admire within you the ability to really stick to your thesis even in spite of the fact that i've seen you be what i'm trying to say is i've seen you be right in this situation so i don't want to say you're definitely wrong and i was joking before when i was talking about your mentality because i know know you're aware of the realities the true bag holder won't face up to the realities of the case against andrew does that and he knows that, and he weighs it up. Very, very after you, after you crapping all over my thesis, it's very kind of you to say so. And, and in fact, I think I think you're right. I think you're right in all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I think what what I would say is not that I've stuck to the thesis, but I think I've reevaluated, and I still come to a point where it, it just doesn't make sense today. So I think there's all of those things are very true and are very negative. Management team has been reinvigorated and they got a, they got a first strike at the last round vote. They are they are very much it's changed. true, and they have shuffled some of those founders. They've shuffled a bit some as well. of those people around, so got a much more cost focused management. In Although play. I'm color me skeptical at this point, 
Yeah, totally. I'm looking for an inflection well, point. Yeah, totally. So you've now got a business that just reported recently, right? So they've they've got their core business growing at 20%. You've got a business now that's trading on three times its forward annual recurring revenue. Forget the total revenue, forget everything else, just the recurring part of its revenue. It's on three times that as well, and it's growing at a very strong rate. Prosumer is people, That that is the point that I think people criticize and i think it is it is the jury is well out and whether this is going to be a worthwhile investment but there's two scenarios here the first scenario is it's, this is a massive market this is not a this is like blackmore's getting into baby formula it didn't work out yeah. but it wasn't a dumb thing to try I, I, they, they tried too soon they spent too much money agreed but they, they're not silly for going after it if if this gets half of the success that they're hoping for, it'll be well worth the return on investment will, will very much be worthwhile. If it doesn't work out and and it's a big end, and they're smart enough to recognize that and pull stumps up, there's a, well, I think there's about eight million dollars worth of cost they can strip yeah. out of the business right there. And this this core elite wearables business that's been going gun like super, super strong is gonna be revealed and you're gonna do it at a dollar a share. I think all of that negativity is priced in and then some. All right, guys, I might keep us back on track. I think we had a pretty good bull case, pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank fair you. Case. Yeah, you, um, you I'll just I'll on. just say one last little thing. I understand that the wallabies use catapults. Uh, waiting for this <laughs> but the all blacks use a different company called vx spot i'll let the audience draw their own conclusions <laughs> um but now we could move on to our last segment for this podcast uh claude is going to reveal a company that he's been buying recently finally what's it called <laughs> so he's <laughs> the, the biggest run-up you've ever seen <laughs> today's company is dicker data which will be familiar to many of you who um, have interacted with me in the past. ASX code DDR. So I've been buying, so I've actually owned this stock for a while and I first bought it years ago. I then actually sold it when I bought a house. Uh, but I've been buying shares lately for a couple of reasons. First among those is I thought that the half year results that came out recently were really quite good. In the meantime, I've observed that there's been relentless buying by directors so what we have here is a company that has a fairly ludicrous history of continual half-on-half improvement now the strange detail is that based on the half-year profit before tax and the forecast that the company recently announced they're expecting profit before tax to be slightly below the current... So, the June half... Higher level, Claude. Give us higher level. You're, you're in the weeds. More energy. Ah, More so, energy. <laughs> so, I should probably say, for those that don't know the company, I should probably say what it does. It is a distributor of IT <laughs> In the products. beginning. <laughs> in the beginning. So, it's, it distributes IT products. It's actually a very unexciting business, but distributors benefit from scale. So, it's made a few acquisitions. It's become the biggest dog in Australia. Dog's or, probably not the best to use <laughs> because it's been oh, a phenomenally... This pitch is going, a phenomenally this pitch is going very, very badly. So, so you guys are... Andrew, the biggest dog by in the Australia. way, Andrew walked off to get a beer when I started this pitch. Such I is, knew I had time. Such is his respect for my side. views. He was like, all right, I'm going to go. Anyway, so look, it's an IT distributor. It distributes IT hardware, which is a very like snoozy kind of business, but they do it really well. They do it with tight margins. The CEO pays himself modestly. The CEO owns a bucket load of shares. 
he, he and his uh, ex-wife, I believe, own the majority of shares. Ex-wife and co-founder. And co-founder. And I think that it, it's like, as business partners, they've done extremely well. They run the company really well. There's a, a, a particular employee, um, the COO, uh, who is well thought of in the industry he is well thought of by investors and he has been buying shares in the company. So what I've got so far, it's a company that's been well, run well so far and there's big inside ownership and one of the key players is and it been also, buying new shares. And on top of that, it also pays out close to 100% of its earnings as a dividend. Mm-hmm. So in terms of just the governance, the way this company is run, it is truly spectacular. It's just so rare to see a fairly well aligned so well aligned management who are still buying shares and want more of the company for themselves and their near-term forecast is for essentially a flat half on half profit before tax now i think this is a very achievable goal so i have no idea whether they will beat this forecast fall short of this forecast or match the forecast perfectly but when a company that has grown its profit before tax for looking at my spreadsheet here, maybe like 10 halves in a row. When that company says, oh, we're going to do actually a slight, slightly lower profit before tax in the next half, I think that's a very achievable forecast. So they've got modest forecasts, insider buying, well-aligned management. In terms of a safe stock that I feel good about owning and gradually accumulating over the long term, this scores pretty well. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I like that. I like all of it. Um, very strong earnings growth. PE of 17 um, seems pretty reasonable. Big alignment. I don't know if this is right. Um, Comsec doesn't always get it right, but just on my screen it says debt to equity is 126. percent I'm glad somebody threw that one at me. It would have been a real pity if you did not. So of course, <laughs> the there every, every I was gonna have to out myself with this weakness in the thesis anyway. So the way that Dicadata earns decent returns from just being an IT di- distributor. So, you know, essentially they are the link between the big companies like Dell and Cisco and the smaller people who go and help set up other small businesses and other even bigger businesses IT needs. The way they do that is they borrow a lot of money to buy that inventory and then they sell that inventory for a margin that is big enough to cover the interest that they pay on that debt. So part so of there's the reason, a leveraged play for them. Yeah, they're using debt to make what is a very marginal business probably mm-hmm. quite profitable. Sounds risky. It, there is risk in that, absolutely. And here's the thing, and this is why I suspect the share price has come down a bit lately, is as interest rates go up, this cost of having debt to hold all the inventory goes up. And now, in the longer term, it's going to go up for everyone. Other distributors are in the same situation. They're going to have a higher cost of debt for buying their inventory. So, um, ultimately, the margins will have to like creep up across the industry. So, it shouldn't hurt them in the long term, but this could be a short-term squeeze on their profit. And that may be why their profit's going to be flat from half to half. But either way... Um, it's going ex-dividend in, in a couple of days. I think it represents good value. And whilst most of my portfolio is in high growth stocks that I think are quite exciting and often capture the imagination of the market, this is one of those boring stocks that I don't talk about a lot 
but truth be told, I'm I'm chipping away and gradually buying shares in the company. I know it's going to pay me out a dividend. I know that if it fails, then the people running that company will really feel the pain. And I know that they like the shares at the moment. Yeah, five point eight percent fully franked yield. I I can I can get why you're interested in it. Um, Matthew, any thoughts on Dicker Data before I, I, I uh, close this off? Yeah, no, I think it's done amazingly well. I think when you first look at the business model, you think, you know, what's that distributor? It's not going to be too, doing too great, but it, does, it has amazing returns over a very long um, time frame. So, yeah, definitely one to look at. Okay, so look, that is the podcast for this week. Um, now, we want to give a special shout out to everyone who um, reached out to us on Twitter after the first one. A whole bunch of people got in touch with topics and companies that they would like to see discussed, and we really thank you for that. Afterpay is one that really came to the fore, so we will certainly make sure that we pop that on the list. Uh, remember also, too, if you could give us a nice big rating on iTunes, that really helps us reach more people and continue to do what we're, what we're going to do. I'd also love uh, love to thank the people that gave us sort of technical feedback and suggestions about how we could structure the podcast better. We're absolutely hearing you. It might take us some time. We're still figuring this out. It might take us some time (laughs) for those ideas to flow through. We're just going to keep having fun with it in the meantime. But we really appreciate your contributions in terms of those ideas. We're listening and we are definitely getting a new microphone for Andrew. Yes, we we most certainly are. And... uh, Yeah, so that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. Uh, Thank you so much again. Remember, if you want to hear any more from any of us, you can also do that very easily on the interweb. You can go to mattjoss.com, M-A-T-T-J-O-A-S-S.com or ethicalequities.com.au or strawman.com. But until next week, that's a good night from me and... See you guys. Thanks very much. Have a good week. Thanks, guys.